Welcome to Box Out Banter. We talk about uh, the Sixers and probably mostly the Sixers today. Uh, I'm Chris Okamura. Joining me as always, Mr. Jordan Christmas. So, Jordan, I'm not even going to give you an intro. I'm just going to sit and go for it, man. You you talk about your Sixers. So, you're wrong about one thing. This isn't going to be mostly Sixers because nobody nobody wants to hear about this team. Not even Sixer fans want to hear about this team. I don't want to hear about this team. I thought, you know, being a day removed from yesterday, I would be, you know, my my mind would be clearer. You know, I had some coffee, some water, thought about it at work. I, I went back to the office at work last night uh, after the game, and I work overnight, so I was by myself thinking about it. Yeah, you were and tweeting I, like you were tweeting for hours afterwards. I was like, man. <laughs> hey, it, hey, you know, sometimes you got to tweet through it. Sometimes you got to you got to tweet through it. It's not not personal stuff, <laughs> not personal stuff, but sometimes you got to tweet through it. Uh, so where do we start? So I guess I guess we'll start with um we'll start with four things, two points of them I'm going to expand on, but uh, the other two they're going to be really quick points. Four or First one, because I just got in a, not a Twitter argument, but like, you know, somebody that I know replied to one of my tweets saying, should Embiid be to blame for the Sixers blowing a 26-point lead in Game 5 yesterday? No. Embiid and Seth Curry are absolved from criticism. Embiid is playing on one leg, and he's putting up a dominant playoff run, and he is putting his body on the line, and his teammates... Just aren't showing up, which I will elaborate on later. So no, point number one, not Embiid's fault. He he is absolved from any criticism. Game four, the second half, f- very fair. You can rip him apart for that one. He was awful. He also looked really lethargic and that knee was really bothering him, but he's known to embellish things a little bit. So yes, Embiid had an awful second half of game four. Still shouldn't Still shouldn't have blown that lead. But point number two. I'm going to start with Tobias Harris because this was the first bad game he's had of the playoffs. And this was my fear with him going into the playoffs is that when he is the only one that is your secondary reliable perimeter creator and he looks bad, the offense looks even worse. Simmons flaws, which I will get into Ben Simmons. I'll save the one that one for last. Simmons' flaws get exacerbated. The the lack of above-average guard play for the 76ers gets exacerbated. And it becomes really bad. And in the fourth quarter yesterday, as the Sixers were slowly blowing this 26-point lead, Tobias Harris was noticeably scared. Passing up open shots, passing it into crazy open space where Hawks defenders were to try to get the ball to win bead and it would either get deflected he had a really crucial turnover out of a timeout when we when we were up when the Hawks cut the lead to two and right out of the timeout Tobias turned it over trying to get the ball to win bead Tobias was god-awful yesterday just god-awful but he has been good for most of these playoffs but that still does not mean that his flaws are very concerning and why 
I was scared when we traded for him and why I am scared of the contract he has, even though he has redeemed a lot of value in it. Okay, whatever. He was also bad in the second half of game four. I should mention that. So the last six quarters, he's been bad. Doc Rivers, I do not want to hear any more criticism of Brett Brown ever again. Because while Brett Brown had flaws, at least he would try shit. At least he would try different lineups. At least he would try different combinations. And yeah, he might have been stubborn sometimes, like game two in Boston back in the 2017 or the 2018 playoffs. The Sixers had an 18 point lead in Boston, looked like they were on the way to win. And Brett Brown just let an 18 to nothing run happen and boom, the lead evaporates, didn't call a timeout, didn't make any adjustments, anything like that. This is the worst coach series I have ever seen from the Sixers. And I watched Doug Collins coach teams. This is the worst I have ever seen a coach coach a playoff Jordan, series for the Sixers. But Jordan. Oh, here we go. Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers. I know what you're going to say. Celtics. <laughs> he coached the OA Celtics. That's all he needs to say. <laughs> he coached the 08 Celtic. The crazy thing is people will still swear he's a great coach. This isn't 2010, dog. Like, he's an okay coach who is a shitty playoff coach. He can't make adjustments. He, the most low, I, I'm sitting here. I watched the Jazz game this morning, right? Because I wasn't going to bother watching the Jazz Clippers game after just getting my soul snatched out of my body. Like, it was uh, shit. Uh, What's that guy from Mortal Kombat, Shang Soon, um, yeah. who, who steals souls? He, I, I couldn't watch the Clippers game today. I'm sitting here watching Ty Lue, though, all playoffs, do Walter White-level chemistry experiments, trying different lineups for every series, adjusting game to game, adjusting play, half by half, quarter by quarter, play by play. Oh, DeMarcus, Cu sprinkle in a little DeMarcus Cousins minutes here and see if that works. Oh, that didn't work. Okay, we'll start, we'll start small. Okay, Luke Kennard didn't play for the first three games, four games of the Dallas series, brings him in, and all of a sudden, that's the right button he pushes. I'm watching Ty Lue try shit and try to win. And then I'm sitting here watching Doc Rivers miss the most basic adjustments, the most low-hanging fruit adjustments, not attacking a backcourt of Lou Williams and Trey Young, who are absolutely torching us in the fourth quarter, and we're not attacking them on the other end, mainly because we don't have credible guard. You can't rely on George Hill to create stuff, but you're not even running a one pick and roll to get Lou Williams or Trey Young into some action. You're still running stupid dribble handoffs with Dwight Howard at the top of the key. You're still giving Dwight Howard minutes in this series when outside of game when outside of game 3, he has been awful. Every time Dwight Howard checks into the game, every minute he is on the court. That is a win for the Hawks. Trey Young will find his ass and he'll be like, come up here, let's dance, let's get you in a screen and roll. And it's either a floater or because Dwight is slower now in his older age and isn't fleet of, as fleet of foot on the perimeter, Trey Young will get a lob to Clint Capella or Trey Young will do a bounce pass to John Collins or Trey Young will get crowded and he'll kick it out to the corner. Dwight Howard minutes should be non-existent. He hasn't even tried Simmons at the five lineups uh, yet in this series. Last series, he was forced to do it because Embiid missed uh, game four. And then he started Mike Scott instead, which was stupid. And now, 
you're still playing Dwight Howard and you're not even trying Simmons and four guards or even Simmons and Harris with Thibel, Shake Milton, or George Hill. And look, I get it. The Sixers have an up and down bench, which by the way, brings me to my next point. Why are we still playing four man bench lineups? It was already an issue that he, Doc Rivers played an all bench lineup in game one, which, you know, we all know what happened there. He kind of just watched a 17-0 run happen and left his bench unit out there. Like, he was like, you know how Phil Jackson did the, uh, I'm going to let my guys figure it out and not call a timeout yeah. thing? He did that with That's the like fucking... classic coaching thing. He did that with the fucking bench unit in game one. Yeah. And excuse me, I'm probably going to let a few cuss words slip because I am still heated. Oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing is, like, I was laughing because my favorite comment that I saw was, Lou is in the huddle with the Hawks. Saying, don't worry, they're not going to make any adjustments. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. The the Tobias Harris four man, the the, the Tobias Harris plus four bench players lineup has not worked all series except for game three. It hasn't actually worked all playoffs. And it's kind of fluky. It it was fluky. And that was the thing that gave Doc Rivers the credibility, not credibility, that gave Doc Rivers the gusto to try it again. And it hasn't worked. Tobias Harris is not that type of player to be the life raft, uh, so to speak, of a bench unit. And you, so why not put Simmons in there? Oh, but wait, you're still playing Simmons with Dwight Howard, which if Ben Simmons doesn't have a stretch five playing next to him, that's not Joel Embiid. You might as well just throw those minutes in the toilet because you're not getting any production out of that. And and don't even get me started with, you know, his Doc Rivers enabling of Ben Simmons. I get it. Doc Rivers is a player's guy. He's a rah-rah guy. He gives his players confidence and stuff like that. That is the issue. That is why he keeps playing these damn bench bench units. At least put two starters in there, not one, and definitely not the worst star, uh, quote-unquote star out of the three. Like... Yeah, I, 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 I just don't, don't, I don't understand. understand. I, think, I think a lot of Doc's trust in Tobias comes with the amount of time they spend together. And I think it's misguided. And he's been good this year, but there are obvious flaws in Tobias Harris's game that, that should scream at you. This guy cannot be carrying a bench unit by himself in a playoff setting. It works no. in the regular season. And you saw me tweeting already. They didn't experiment one time this regular season. I could count on my hands how many times they experience they experimented with stuff, but only because of injury, which is ridiculous. Like Doc Rivers ran the all bench lineup all season, and what was my fear? What did I? We talked about it all the time on this podcast. I said it when he got hired. He is a Plan A coach. And when that plan A doesn't work, he just shrugs his shoulders and is like, well, I'm going to try it again. You know, coaches will be like, we're not going to change who we are, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, that's some Mike Budenholzer shit. And Doc Rivers is taking I mean, but notes even on when you, Even when you have coaches that do like the, we're going to play our style and do whatever, there's still micro adjustments that you make within that style to make it fit and to make it function. Yes. You don't, you don't just like leave it alone. Exactly. And it's something that. We we're, we'll talk about when we talk about the Bucks, but like they're just both of them are just doing things where it doesn't work, and they just leave it and they let it sit, and they're like, it'll figure it, it'll work itself out. And it's so I the, trust in my system, and it's like no, the fixes no, no, are no. so obvious too. Like I, I don't understand why 
we don't run like even a little bit more pick and roll i don't like here okay i will give doc credit for this adjustment he made in game three ben simmons ghosted in the first half didn't want anything to do with the ball in game three even though the sixers were you know in the midst of a blowout or you know not in the midst of a blowout but they were leading at halftime by eight by eight points doc rivers put ben simmons on the block and he started picking teams apart. He's that, yeah. and then that opened up his aggressiveness. He started attacking the basket, and it opened things up. Where was that in these last two games? And I understand they were up big, but you can't. That's the other thing too. In the playoffs, when you're up big like that, you got to stomp them out. This isn't the 2010. NBA anymore 20 point leads are so fragile now with the three-point shooting and the spacing and the pace and more possessions that you just it's irresponsible it is irresponsible to not you know shorten your rotation man like this isn't the a nine-man rotation still we're still doing this yeah like we're we're still like we're really still doing this and then and then let me get Anyway, I hope Daryl Morey, uh, the the Sixers ownership, they hired, they did everything ass backwards like the Sixers usually do. They hired Doc Rivers first, and then Daryl Morey became available, and then they got him. Daryl Doc Rivers is not Daryl Morey's hire. I hope Morey makes some changes. Doc Rivers is going to make Carlisle. A, I mean, Rick Carlisle might be looking at the Bucks and like, mm, uh-huh. like I I kind we we have a. I'm going to put Giannis at center. I like Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. And he's going to look at the Sixers and be like, I have this mega star in Embiid. And then I have this point guard who can't shoot, alleged point guard that can't shoot and doesn't want anything. Well, the shooting's not the part of it. This brings me to my point about Ben Simmons, because I'm done with Doc. He should not. I was lukewarm on the hire. I wanted D'Antoni, Ty Lue. Anybody else but Doc Rivers. It was a lukewarm hire, not creative, not. Speaking of lukewarm hires, do you want Luke 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 W himself? You want who? You want Luke Walton? No, I don't, and I hope the Kings keep him. (laughs) It's honestly incredible that a lot of coaches got fired, and it wasn't Luke Walton. Luke Walton wasn't one of them. But yeah, crazy. This brings me. Carlisle didn't get fired. Technically, he left under his own accord. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. We'll talk about we'll that. We'll talk about that. But this brings me to my last point. Ben Simmons. And I wouldn't say I've been a Ben Simmons defender. I like Ben Simmons. I've said he's a good player with some very glaring flaws. But it is now over. If he is your second best player on a contender, on an alleged contender, there's a ceiling. There just is. You're not going to win the championship with Ben Simmons as your second best player. And not this version of Ben Simmons, where it's not even the three-point shooting, Chris. It's the... It's it's shooting at all. It's even shooting at all, up. not looking at the <laughs> rim. And his free throw shooting is so bad now. He doesn't even want the ball in the fourth quarter. He will hand it off to Seth Curry or whoever wants to do that stupid dribble handoff with him. And he'll go right to the dunker spot. He won't post up. He won't even run that stupid snug pick and roll that him and Embiid run where Simmons goes to the other block. Or when Embiid goes to Simmons uh, when he's posting up on the block and does like a little snug screen near the basket. That hardly works half the time because you could easily switch that because it's you're two feet apart from each other. Um, yeah. you're running none of that. You're not here. 
And I have some stats to pepper you with, too. So in back-to-back fourth quarters now, Ben Simmons has taken zero shots. Not like, not even like one terrible shot or a heave or whatever. Zero. Zero field goal attempts. Zero. Yeah. That is to me. It's to me. Is, it's a lack of aggression, and like it's not acceptable. And we've been asking for this aggression for three years now. Like he'll yeah. turn it on for a month and a half, two months, and then he'll stop, or an injury will happen, and he'll come back, and he'll be the same tentative player. Like the Hawks do not have any great defenders on that team. Like DeAndre Hunter's out. Cam Reddish has been dealing with an Achilles injury. Chris Dunn has been gone since the start of the season. You can't you can't take Danilo Gallinari off the dribble. You can't, you know, you do your little dumb right-handed flip shot over John Collins. Like you won't even attempt your the only credible shot you have, your right-handed little flip shot hook thing that I don't even know what the hell it is. You don't even want to try that. Like it's not just the shooting. It's the free throw shooting. It's the lack of touch. He's been the same damn offensive player skill-wise since his second year. And the Sixers have done everything to accommodate him. Shooters. Okay, we signed Al Horford because we think Ben Simmons can improve because he's the point guard, quote-unquote. That was a disaster. We go back to the shooting. New coach. New style. Joel Embiid has morphed into an MVP mega destroyer and arguably the best player in the world when healthy. And Simmons is still the same. Like, I'm sorry. Like, at some point, I love his defense. I love his playmaking. But he's not even playmaking anymore. He's not even looking at the rim. He's not. And then when he does drive to the rim, he kicks it out. He flails and kicks it out to nobody or to a player who's in a bad position. Like, the only assist he got in the second half yesterday was to Furkan Korkmaz for a bad three. It was an awful shot that went in. Like, yeah, I think the at problem some that point... I had with Simmons, and this is this is the same thing. This is the conversation that we had earlier in the season, where I was saying the thing with Ben Simmons, I don't need him to shoot threes. I just need him to shoot and like spread the floor a little bit, so it opens up his playmaking so much. Because when you're not looking to score, and people know that you're not looking to score, it makes it so easy to defend you. John, Co- John Collins was below you... the free throw line yesterday. That yeah. that doesn't embarrass you, like. Well, that's, remember, that's how Kobe used to play Rondo. And then Rondo worked on it a ton, and now he's like a decent three-point shooter, right? And you're like, oh, well, this is what you need to do in your career to work on something. I don't know what Ben Simmons does in the offseason because he clearly doesn't shoot. And if he does, he's not willing to do it in a game. Like, he's not practicing enough where it's confident for he him. Did, he's not willing to – That's and that's the other problem with Ben Simmons. And I'm right now – I'm reading a piece from Kyle Newbeck who covers the Sixers for Philly Voice. He's one of the best beat writers in the NBA. And he made this point. Simmons has been willing. It's also now it's apparent that Simmons unwillingness to change has really dragged this team down. It is very apparent that he wants to win things his way. He wants to be a driving kick guy. He wants to be a great defender. And it's like, no, like you have to, it's year five now. And you don't, and you don't think something should change, like yeah. even your left-handed form, which you shoot with the wrong hand. By the way, you should at least try switching to the right hand. But even then, his left-handed shooting form, it's the same. There's no mechanical tweaks, nothing. 
And it's yeah. obviously a mental thing now, which he admitted last night. So now it's a mental thing, and that's why he's been running away in the fourth quarter from the ball. And I hate using that term because I because I think that could be a little harsh at times. But that's the facts. He he would give the ball to a guard or give the ball to Embiid and run to the dunker spot and do nothing. Oh, and by the way, Trey Young went off in the second half, and he was guarding him, and he didn't even play good defense in the second half. Like at some mm-hmm. point. At some point, you know, and like I said, the Simmons debate is really polarizing. There's ar- there's good points on both sides of the argument. I've always been in the camp of keep Simmons unless there is a player a tier above him where you can make Simmons the centerpiece of a trade where you don't have to give up a bunch of draft picks, et cetera, to get that player. You could just say, hey, look, here's Ben Simmons, and then here's a few other pieces, and then we'll trade for Harden or whoever, right? Well, now it is it's time. Ben Simmons would be a great third piece on a championship contender. Unfortunately, the big caller, Brian Colangelo and Elton Brand, fucked all of he- Sam Hinkie's assets down the toilet. They, they fucked it all off. And the chance of getting a perimeter score, a perimeter guard, to pair with Simmons and Joe, which would have been the ideal trio puzzle piece, failed. They failed at getting the guard. So now Simmons is your second best player, and now we know that he can't be your second best player. He's a great utility third option guy. I would love to, I would love to magically take Bradley Beal and place him in a Simmons and Bead core. That would be nasty, right? Or even like even someone like CJ McCollum, like a step yes. down below that, someone like that, right? But now just having that available. But now with. But we don't have Hinky's assets anymore. We don't have high draft picks anymore. Now I am of the business of we cannot waste Joel Embiid's prime. So whether it's Lillard, whether it's Beal, and even to a lower, lower, lower extent, you could talk. I could talk myself into trading for CJ McCollum. You, yeah. you, want, you, want, you want Kyle Kuzma? No. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, at least Kyle Kuzma could space the floor. Uh, <laughs> on behalf of on behalf of Laker fans, we'll take we'll, we'll give you Kyle. Kuzma. I know, I know you got no. Ben Simmons is a good player, and honestly, with the way this team is constructed, the best isn't necessarily brought out of him. I've always thought the Simmons and Embiid fit was fine, but not perfect. But Simmons does need his own team to bring the best out of him, and you'll win a lot of to games. Me, Simmons... The problem is you won't go far in the playoffs. I feel, but he's still a good player, and so I would trade him. I I think it well one. There, something's got to change. There's no way to come back from this. Even if they come back and win this series, whoop-de-fucking-do. You should have beat this team in five. You're clearly the better team, and the Hawks just came in and stole the games Slapped that you gave around. away. Like, the Sixers well, I literally— think, I, think this, I think this speaks to Doc more than anything. And it's something that you could probably in the first bit where— <laughs> He publicly what enabled Ben year. too. That's the crazy. Well, like, it's funny look, you brought but, like, that look up. Look what happened. Look what look what happened with this with the Clippers. They got big leads and they gave them up, and they lost to a worse team. Like I well theoretically a worse team, right? Then you take this year and you, the Sixers doing the same exact thing. At what point is this a trend with Doc and people stop calling him a good coach? Yeah. That, yep. Like I don't I don't get how this can happen time and time again. And it's still, Oh, it's not doc. It's, it's like, the team. Like, and and then also how is, how is doc? 
how is Doc this player's coach that always gets players to come together and be a team or whatever, but always has dysfunctional teams? Outside of the 08 Celtics, or outside of the Celtics, that whole era, not just the 08 season, and some of the magic. Even the 08 Celtics, they, they had Rondo, Ray Allen problems. Yeah, towards the, towards the end, you're right, they did. Um, but And yeah, those early Magic teams, I didn't hear much. Well, I haven't even read much about like if there was turmoil or not. I imagine there wasn't because T-Mac or Grant Hill was injured a lot also. Yeah. And it was the T-Mac show. But yeah. Yeah. The, well, T-Mac Chris, said that he wasn't happy there. So he's talked about that so publicly. I don't, so I don't get, I don't, I, I just don't get it at this point. Like at some point we have to say because that Doc Doc's Rivers. a good guy. At some point, because we have to say the, the the game passed by Doc probably somewhere in like 2014. Definitely after that, uh, the Clippers um, Rockets collapse uh, that he had, and that's the other thing. So the last two postseasons, <laughs> I got this from First Take. These are th- this graphic from First Take. I don't listen to First Take, um, but <laughs> the last two postseasons, all the blown leads. 2021 76ers, 26 points, Doc Rivers. 2020 Clippers, 21 points, Doc Rivers. 2020 Clippers, 19 points, Doc Rivers. 2021 Mavericks, 19 points, Rick Carlisle. 2021 76ers, the 18 points in Game 4, Doc Rivers. Mike Budenholzer in Game 5 the other night. Then Brad Stevens last year. And then the 2020 Clippers again, 16-point lead, blown all doc rivers there's eight coaches on this or there are eight names on this list and five of them are doc rivers yeah like again it's ben simmons and doc rivers like for me like yeah and so well so and again this goes back to the thing we're talking about with ben where we talked about this beginning of the year i agree with you it's not the three-point shooting but he at least has to take shots Yes, one quarter three a game. That is literally what all beat writers have been asking Ben to do for three years. Can you take one corner three a game? We see you take it pregame. It looks fine. Like it's it's not like we're gonna meme you if you airball. Well, Twitter will Twitter as always or whatever. But like we want you taking the at least one corner three. I want you finishing with your left hand. He has no touch with his left hand, dude. Like, no touch whatsoever. When he lets that thing go off his left palm, it looks like a bowling ball. Like, and he won't switch to the correct hand. Like, Ben Simmons is a player that is prideful. I respect that. He's talented. He definitely improved as a defender to become a defensive player of the year caliber player. But his unwillingness to change, his unwillingness to relinquish the ball as a point guard when... And this is the messed up thing. He's our best ball handler and passer. So when he's out of the game because teams are either hacking him or he disappears and goes to the dunker spot, you're leaving it up to average-ass ball handlers. Like, we can't – Seth Curry has been amazing all playoffs. We cannot rely on Seth Curry to be our main guard right now. And by the way – That's not his game. By the way – That's not what he's there to do. NBA teams make runs. You would you you've seen basketball in your time, Chris. NBA teams will make runs eventually, right? I, we weren't going to yeah. lead by twenty six all game, but you know what happens when a team makes a run? Their star perimeter player, they either say okay, they either take one possession where they're like okay, fuck this, I'm going to the rim and I'm either getting fouled or I'm scoring. They stop mm-hmm. the they stop the bleeding in some way, and that's the other thing too. It's the situational 
awareness within the game, not just like the big picture of the series, the situational possession, possession awareness in a game that we see all the time. We've watched basketball for a long time. There's ebbs and flows. The situational awareness is just not there with him. Like, at least Draymond Green, who can't shoot for shit, at least he's involved in offense in crunch time. He, he's calling out sets. He's getting his team settled down. He's getting passes to cutters. He'll, he'll crash the offensive glass. Simmons does none of that. You have to pull it out of him. It's, yeah. it's frustrating. And so at this point, I would just, I would, I would, I would trade it. Well, I imagine they're not, I don't think Daryl Morey is there. He's coming back with the same team this year. That's the other thing too. When you blow a lead like this, can you imagine, do you, did you think after the game that Joel Embiid wasn't pissed off at his co his alleged co-star for him ghosting on offense? The dude is, playing on, the dude is playing on a torn meniscus. He hurt his other knee yesterday, which that went under the radar, and that looked bad, but he got up. He's putting his body on the line because he wants to win a championship for Philadelphia. And then he's looking at Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris not wanting anything to do with the damn ball in the fourth quarter. Like, that at some point, that's got to mentally fracture the team. Like, I've and trust me, I've been begrudgingly reading articles from Sixer writers, like, that has got to be a fracture point. Like, there is no coming back from this. I don't care if they win this series now. I I, I mean, obviously, I want the, I'm want. i going to be watching the damn game tomorrow, and it got to bed <laughs> at Game 7. But after this season, there's no way you could come back with this. There isn't. You have to. Yeah. I would, I would try every possible avenue if – Dame Lillard really is unhappy in Portland. If Neil O'Shea, the guy who throws 10,000 people under the bus, makes another dumb move and Dame wants out, I would do everything in my power to try to pry Dame out of Portland. I would do everything in my power to try to pry Bradley Beal, even to a lesser extent, out of Washington. And then even if you talk me into it and it was a C.J. McCollum and Ben Simmons trade straight up because C.J. McCollum had a bad playoffs too, so maybe you could do a one-up, one-up trade, I would do that. And I will take the sacrifice in passing to give extra spacing and have a above average guard who can at least get me a, off the dribble three and get to the line. Because at this point, it's ridiculous. Joel Embiid is a monster and he's getting triple and double teamed. In the fourth quarter, four guys are in his space because nobody else <laughs> wants the ball. It's ridiculous, man. So that's all I that's all I got. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I took up the. Sorry, I took up the time. But you know, it is no, also. I'm it's also partly. It's partly my. It, we co-own this podcast, and so I did the Archer thing, and you know, an Archer. He's like, I'm commandeering <laughs> this boat. I'm com. I commandeered the first thirty minutes of this podcast, but I am frustrated. Like, if the Sixers lose, like I told you, there's no excuse for the Sixers to not make the conference finals. This is not the Toronto Raptors' second-round opponent. This is not the Brad Stevens up-and-coming Boston Celtics or whatever when they had home court advantage. The Atlanta Hawks are a good team. Trey Young's going to be a star, and he's definitely solidified his trajectory I think he's going to be on after this playoff run. But the Hawks aren't, like, a contender. They're, they're, they're an inferior opponent. It's clear. They, the Sixers are the better team, but the Hawks are mentally tougher, and they can manufacture easier shots. 
because they actually have guys who are willing to shoot and dribble. So that's it. Yeah. Well said. Well put. <laughs> Real quick before we move on, how do you how do you feel about uh, Ben right now? Is it is it the same? Do you have any uh, like slight I, I, slight we, diverging we this, or? No, we had this discussion before. I I was always lower on Ben than you were. I even think I I again I still believe that he still needs to make not threes, but he needs at least a mid range shot or something to just at least give him space and make him a threat, not just at the rim. Because mm-hmm. it's so easy to defend someone at the rim, right? You just wait for them. If they not, if they're not taking mid, at least mid range jumper, jumpers, there's no reason to even guard them out there. And he's not creating anything if no one's fighting at him taking the shot. So, like for me, at least you need to expand your range at least a little bit here, which is what I've kind of been proud of Giannis for being able to. We'll talk about him in a second, but being proud of him to at least be able to hit mid range jumpers and threes, he's willing to take them now. I think they're. He just needs to I think he's too excited to take them now. He needs to reel it back a little bit. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but but I think like I'm I'm proud of him for being able to at least have that foresight of like, hey, this isn't working and let me work on this. And you like, can see the improvement year to year. Where with Ben, I just don't know where it's coming from. like I don't know what he thinks of himself. If that makes sense. Like I don't know if he thinks like, Oh, I don't need to do this. Or, like, I'm good where I'm at. Or, like, people need to adjust to me. Like, I don't know where... You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't yeah. know what is... And he's been able... Questions. The thing is, he's had a weird offensive season. And that's been hidden under the fact that Joel Embiid has been... the Arguably, I he should have... I thought if he had stayed healthy, he was going to be the MVP. Like, Joel Embiid's MVP season hid Ben Simmons' weird offensive stretch. And the free throw thing, man. Like... And here's the thing. This version of Ben Simmons, it could work in Portland because he actually has guards that could dribble, shoot, etc. The Sixers, I have long labored the Sixers' lack of that skill in that department, right? But with this team and with that contract and with your draft status and you wanting to be the point guard, we need you to improve, my guy. We at least need you to take not zero shots. Yeah. Like, really shoot. Like just anything, 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 but um, I have no f- so I have no faith. Doc Rivers gave some erroneous quote today. I don't know if you saw me tweet about it, but he was like, one of the players asked me if we ever lost a game five, at, if I had ever lost a game five at home in the past and we won the series. And he was like, yeah, the 2015 series versus the Spurs. And I was like, man, ain't nobody asked Doc that shit. Like, yeah. no player asked Doc that shit. If, if somebody asked Doc that question then this series really is over. Like, it's over tomorrow at 7.30 Pacific time. It's over. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, nobody asked Doc that question. And I have no faith in Doc Rivers. Could the Sixers... Co- it's not unreasonable to think the Sixers could still win this series in seven. But I don't feel great about it. And quite frankly, I just want to move forward to the 2022 offseason to see what Daryl Morey does. So... Anyway, I yeah. want. I was hoping we would talk about Kevin Durant's historic performance and Bud's all-time choke job at the beginning of the podcast. But you know, the Sixers they they did a choke job in Game Four. The Bucks were like, "Let me one up you, hold my beer," and then the Sixers were like, "No, you hold my beer," and then <laughs> they topped that. And, uh, but anyway, let's move on. Um, so, you wanted to talk about the Bucks Nets uh, game, uh, Game Five? Yeah, I. I think less so than well, obviously we need to KD, talk about it. 
I think less so than KD because KD, I think that's something that you can come across and be like, yeah, that's all time great game. Like, there's not really much else to say other than like historic performance, right? I feel um, I do feel bad because everybody is focused on the Bucks, and I know we will will both be focused on the Bucks and specifically well, because like uh, but Kevin Durant had an all time historic game. Oh yeah, I mean, but there's there's just not much we can talk about other than like yeah, Kevin Durant. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, there's not really much else to to pile on there other than like praise which again we already know what Kevin Durant's capable of mm-hmm. and he's it's an absolutely incredible game the thing that I want to talk about is the the mis to me the misuse of Giannis here and what he's good at okay so uh and I before, I don't before understand before you go before you go let me ask you this because uh there's a good follow on Twitter his name is Jason Maples he's a he's a good yes. he's a he's a good follow he started this agenda. When are we going to just move Giannis and AD to the five? Like, when are we just going to cut the BS? Like, Giannis is a five. Like, Anthony Davis is a five. There's no reason, in this series at least, to see Brooke Lopez play drop coverage all the time and watch I think it's. Durant I think it's, I think it's weird. So I think it's weird because I think, like, in my brain, right, in my brain, AD is a power forward in the same way Tim Duncan was. But his and best I position think, was center, like Tim Duncan. Right. And then also, I think that Giannis... I, I, for some reason, I view Giannis as a three, but I know he's not. Yep. And it's in, But, like, in my in my head, for some reason, I have, like, Giannis is a three, AD's a four. It's those four years of watching Giannis, you know, being amazed at Giannis dribbling full court and dunking on somebody in transition that made you think he was still that it's imprinted in our brains now, I feel. But like, so I think my thing is like, you could you the thing with Giannis and again, I'll get into the Giannis discussion here is Giannis doesn't have a move to get around someone like he Mm -hmm. can get one on one. But if he doesn't get a step, he has no move to like shake someone like he can't dribble like he or he can dribble he doesn't have a move he doesn't have a move so it 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 feels a lot like prime dwight offensively where you need him head of steam going downhill jumping over people dunking on people getting rebounds playing off ball or but even then like dwight still was a threat like back to the basket he had a little bit of a hook it wasn't like anything special, but he had a little bit there, and he had <laughs> some moves. He had <laughs> some moves better than Giannis does at this point. Yeah, but that's not really saying much. No, Dwight Howard was pretty like, unskilled on the block. I mean, both are. But my, my my point is like Dwight at least had some feel of like how to get around someone or how to like creatively get around to the basket, where Giannis just looks like he's lost anytime he has to do that. And like I think Bud the end of the game is so frustrating to watch because it's the thing where it's like yeah come down and post up Giannis which is like not a bad idea like doing it once or twice is like I would have that thought as a coach of like okay let's get an easy basket let's it was post at least Giannis. a change up from isoing Giannis yeah. at the top of the key all series yeah <laughs> but like I was like cool let's post up Giannis like this is good get him his get him in his like get him in a space on the floor where he's comfortable like post up Giannis close to the basket great fantastic First, he's not getting deep enough into the into the post to catch. He's he's doing the Shaq 
the thing that Jack and Chuck always talk about where it's like you're catching it on the hash marks. Like you're posting on the hash marks, so they're pushing you out to like maybe a little bit to the mid range. Well, don't let like, NBA to... Twitter hear you giving credit to inside the NBA. You know how they get. Well, it's <laughs> well, yeah, but it's true. Like when you when you talk about there's a great there's an old clip, like a real old clip. They talk about they're criticizing Dwight, and yeah. they're talking about how you post. Uh, you've seen you've seen this clip. I've seen you this post clip, up, and I've been coached on this because I was a center yeah, in high school. You, you you set low, and then you get pushed out to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Like you always set deeper. So Giannis is, is setting up where he wants to be, but he's getting pushed out. And then when he catches, he's already too far from where he can make a move. Mm-hmm. So like the thing is, he's so uncomfortable and, and looks so uncoordinated that he's taking away fadeaway jumpers over a one-legged James Harden. And yeah. you're like, dude, that's an easy, that's an easy drop step <laughs> or power move to the basket. James Harden waved off Landry Shamit mid post up. Yeah. He's like, bruh, he's gonna take a fadeaway. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, don't or, double. Or get the rebound. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, and, you, and you're like, it's such an easy drop step post move away from a dunk. And you're just like, I don't get why. Okay, and then once it doesn't work, like three or four times. If it doesn't work, then you move to making him off ball, like you would Steph, where you're like, okay, just set screens, get him moving, get him open, get him ahead of steam, get him a step to the basket. Yep. And it's like, no, we're not going to run him off ball. We're just going to keep doing this post up until it works. Or spoiler, or it didn't gonna, work. Or we're going to keep Giannis out on the perimeter. <laughs> That's the fresh. Yeah. So this is the frustrated thing, right? Like, clearly, in games. In game one, at least, in game one, because game two was a absolute blowout. Like I'm not even, I'm not even gonna mention game two. Uh, but game one, it was very apparent that the Bucks could get whatever they want in the paint. Lopez, Giannis on screen and roll, whatever. And for whatever reason, they don't stick to the formula. Like Giannis should be running a bunch of pick and rolls as the five. Like. Drew Holiday, Chris yep. Middleton, like, there's no reason they shouldn't be running pick and roll. There's no reason that whenever Brooke Lopez has a mismatch on him off of a switch, that he's floating out to the three-point line, even though he's a good three-point shooter. And I'm a proponent of centers shooting threes. It's just the Nets have such – they're so thin inside that it would be, like, 80% of your shot diet should be near the basket. Like, Lopez is a good post player. He's been posting up more this year and and last year than, uh, you know, the first year when they went to the Eastern Conference Finals in 2019 where he was exclusively a shooter. And he's back to the 2019 Brook Lopez, who was a good three-point shooter, but you'll live with Brook Lopez shooting threes out there when you got Kevin Durant, who is your tallest player on the team, on the Brooklyn Nets. You'll live with Brooke Lopez shooting them. If he makes them, whatever. Tip your hat to him. Like, you'll live with it. But, like, Brooke Lopez was wreaking havoc whenever he got into the paint in game one. And then game three was a dumpster fire. And it's just a master It's just a master class performance from Bud. Still playing this weird 10-man rotation. The His player or his starters aren't playing more than 35 minutes. He went back to that again, even though the last two games they've been playing over 40 minutes, which is good. It's a good adjustment, but it's so obvious. And this game, last game, was so mind blowing because even though the Bucks built up this 17 point lead, I didn't like the process of it. 
like the, yeah, it was sloppy. The, the process was sloppy. They made a they got hot. They made some they made some really tough jump jumpers. And Giannis was uh Giannis wasn't posting up or screening and rolling. Brooke Lopez was out there was spacing the floor shooting threes um quick in the shot clock. They weren't attacking a one-legged James Harden like every from opening tip. Did you th- when did you notice that James Harden? When did it become apparent to you that James Harden couldn't move? That's a question for you. When did it become apparent for you that he couldn't move in the game? Oh, first quarter. Yeah, opening you could tip. Tell. Like, yeah, you could tell. He tip, you could tell he, he wasn't move. driving to the basket. You yep. could tell because he wasn't driving to the basket. And he would. He'd have like the room to do it and like the lane, and he he just wouldn't do it. And you're like, he never does that. And the ca- the cadence to his step back was off. He was missing far left and stuff. Like you could tell James Harden was not himself. And what does Bud do? Not attack James Harden. If Chris Paul was in this series, Chris Paul would be running James Harden through the mud in pick and yeah. roll. He would be like, no, we are scrap what Bud says. We are picking on this dude. Yeah. And the thing is, like, the way they use Giannis, it gave Harden an easy person to guard. Because mm-hmm. it was just like because Giannis just sits there until he until he gets the ball and then he moves. And by the way, and on so that like, post fadeaway you were talking about. Harden is a good post defender. Like for all the shit he he rightfully gets on defense, he's a good post defender and he has lightning quick hands. So yeah. that's a win for the Nets. I as soon as Giannis posted up Harden and Hart even before Harden waved off Shamit, I was like, this is a win for the Nets. I don't care if Giannis makes this shot. Like, this is a win for the Nets. Like Giannis is way far off of his spot more than he wants to, and then he settled for a fadeaway. Like, I, it's Bud and Doc are just incredible to me. Like in the most unspectacular and very bad ways, right? Like, it's that's why this is going to be interesting because I I retweeted um somebody who was saying like even if the Bucks won the finals somehow I would fire Bud after the season. Yeah. Like I I would. And Jeff Van Gundy can go on Zach Lowe's podcast and defend coaches like he always does all he wants to. But dog, we see the game. We see the game. We see the tape. Like yeah. this and if you look at Bucks Twitter, this was every Bucks fan's fear. <laughs> like playoff Bud has reared his ugly head in the worst way. And it was a historic collapse until, you know, last night. <laughs> Yeah, I I was very shocked watching the game of just like there's no there's no movement to their offense. There's no and the thing is like it's so frustrating because they have the pieces to do that. Yeah, like you don't think to double Kevin Durant. You don't think to you know maybe not have Giannis on him. Yeah, and even if Giannis is more of a because Giannis can't really navigate screens well. And Kevin Durant has cooked him sometimes. One, but on he's one. long. He's long to bother. He, he's long. Kevin Durant can't post him up like he was posting up PJ Tucker because PJ Tucker was in his jersey in the games in Milwaukee. And then Kevin Durant adjusted and was like, "Let me get the ball on the block and shoot over him, and let me be a little bit more physical on the drive." He can't do that exactly with Giannis. Kevin Durant might blow by him. Kevin Durant might score over him, but he's Kevin Durant. You got to try all kinds of things. I'm not saying Giannis would have shut him down. But running the same coverage and having Pat Connaughton, P.J. Tucker, and Chris Middleton all get roasted while Brooke Lopez is in a drop coverage on a 
at this point, Kevin Durant is on fire. Get the, as Chuck would say on Inside the NBA, the house is on fire. Get the women and the kids out. Like, get everybody out of the house. Yeah. The, Kevin well, Durant the is on like, fire. If, if, Gian, if he's going to blow past Giannis, at least you'll have, like, Brooke or a secondary defender behind to cover. That's the way you play that because you need to have him just hit bodies because you just want someone else to shoot. Harden mm-hmm. can't shoot at this point. So what? Just have you're gonna let Durant beat you, or you're gonna give it to Joe Harris and try to let him go off? And yeah, that's the other thing too. This is handed to the Bucks on a silver platter. James Harden hurts his hamstring in the first 40 seconds of Game One. Kyrie Irving has a bad ankle sprain. Joe Harris has turned it, the, whatever the pumpkin carriage was in Cinderella. He turned it to the rotten pumpkin after midnight. Like Joe Harris has been bad in this series. It's shooting wise and yeah. everything. And so, this so, is on a silver platter for the Bucks, and they can't get out of their own way. And it's players, but I really it it's Mike Budenholzer. He has to go. Like it's over. So, well, this is what we talked about before, where we just didn't trust the Bucks. So the the this might be a hot take. <laughs> I'm I'm like ninety percent all in on the Suns winning the finals. No, I am too. They're they got to be the favorites. I'm. I don't I'm, think that's a hot take. <laughs> I think you're. I think you're correct. <laughs> They're the favorites. I'm so. I'm so in on the Suns winning the finals. And the thing is, even if Chris Paul has COVID and takes two weeks off, I think that's fine. <laughs> yeah, because that's he, more rest. Saw, with more rest, like like you saw in the Nuggets series. And by the way, I'll take the L on the Nuggets series. Like, I don't know what it is. I I thought I could. I tried to do the best player in the best series thing, but the Suns have been the most complete team in the playoffs. Yes, like it's not even it's not even close. Like the yeah. the, the Bucks Again, have my, looked. My... Sorry, go ahead. All good. My thing is like they have their most complete team. They have the youngest legs, mm-hmm. and they have they have the best leader that's left in the playoffs. Yep. They have they have uh, Monty Williams is. Given the coaching we've seen so far, probably the best coach left in this series in this in this playoff. <laughs> yep, yep. And and they are well. Him playing, and Ty Lue. Him and Ty Lue. I've been yeah, really they're playing. Impressed they're, with Ty playing they're playing free and loose. And to me, a lot of it comes down to to Aiton too. Of like, who's going to guard Aiton? Yeah, DeAndre Aiton has been. He's he grew up in this series. I'm really happy because I had Aiton stock. I had Aiton over Luca at first. Oh, we in both that, did in, at, in that 28 when that 2018 draft so was I. being scouted. And then by the end of I, it, I was I like, it, by the end of it, I was like, okay, I I can't have Aiton over Luca because this this guy is good. Like, but I still like Aiton though. Oh yeah. Thing is, oh, like, oh, I love Aiton. Like he has the physical the, tools and everything. So like when we when we start to get into like matchups, like. The Nets can't really don't don't really have a body for Aiden. Nope. The Bucks really don't have a body for Aiden other than Giannis. But again, like you know, and then Lopez. we have other. Oh yes, but again, Brooks going to stand out there, and you know. Yeah. Whatever. Like the, the there's no physical matchup for Aiden in the Clippers matchups. Mm-hmm. There's Gobert for the Jazz, but I don't know if that's going to work out. <laughs> Um, I think the Suns are win- beating whoever. Well, now that Kawhi's hurt, because I actually thought the yeah. Clippers were the worst matchup for the Suns. Now that Kawhi's hurt, the, the Suns, it, w- it would kind of be a failure if the Suns didn't make the finals. Because with the Jazz, yeah. Conley's out, Mitchell's hurt, and um, 
Mitchell's. I, I do want to bring up Gobert. I do want to bring up Gobert too. Oh yes, we will bring he, up Gobert for, for a defensive player of the year. To back to back defensive player of the year, he gets hunted more than anyone any defensive player of the year I've ever seen. He so Draymond brought up this point on Inside the NBA, and by the way, Draymond Green is going to be awesome in TV as an analyst. As an yes. analyst, he's uh, he has one of he's one of the smartest players I've ever watched, and the way he talks the game is really good. It's not that, you know, the Clippers, you know, abused Gobert or whatever. It's just that if you get – Gobert is a great defender in terms of rim protection, shutting off the paint, which is probably the most important thing in the NBA. Sure. And I was actually going to make the point earlier with Ben Simmons that we can have all the perimeter defense you want. If you're not going to do shit from the perimeter on the other end, then that doesn't really matter because Joel Embiid can – prop you up because rim protection is the one thing that can prop up an average defense just by itself right yeah but like it take away even, the easiest shot. even if gobert will win a few matchups when he switches out or whatever you're still having gobert out there uncomfortable in space which he is not yes. good which he's not good at and i was watching the game this morning and there were five there were five or six times where the Clippers beat Gobert off the dribble and were able to do the quick layup over him or the, the quick scoop off the wrong foot or whatever or shield their body from the shot blocker. Um, Paul George was getting a few nice passes off uh, on the Gobert switch. Reggie Jackson, too. Like, it's not that Gobert isn't still a great defender in the playoff. The the problem no, with I... Go the, the problem, I think, with Go I know you're not saying that, but I think the problem with Gobert, I don't look at the offensive end or the defensive end, I'm looking at the offensive end because I saw this yeah. stat. When Gobert is on the court in this series, the Jazz defensive rating, it's it's 121, which is, you know, still high. But when Gobert is off the court, it's 142 for the Jazz. Yeah. So it's but, but either way, the defensive rating is still really, really high, higher than what it should be. But on the offensive end, it's the same. It's 111. Point three when Gobert is on the court, and I think a one eleven point eight when he's off the court. When you, the Clippers went, the Clippers have been going small, and Gobert has not been able to punish them on the offensive end because he has no discernible offensive skills. He's a lob threat; he can crash the offensive glass, but every time he flashes to the lane, nobody wants to pass it to him because he's already being covered. He can't really seal a guy under the basket like a Joel Embiid or a Nikola Jokic or even an Anthony Davis or a DeAndre Ayton, by the way. Well, that's, is, that's, well, that's what I was saying, where, for me, when someone's a defensive player of the year, even, I understand, go, I, rim protection to me, I, yes, it's the most important part of of a, a defense, and, and most probably the most important thing playing defense in the NBA is rim protection. Yep. But, when I look at, play, like, I look at Anthony Davis, I look at Joel Embiid, I look at even Ben Simmons, I look at, uh, you know, someone like Drew Holiday. I look at guys like Draymond. even DeAndre Ayton, Draymond. Like these are all guys that can play, that have, that can defend perimeter and in the at the rim protection. That have great switchable tools, one through five almost mm -hmm. in a lot of situations. So why does Gobert keep winning these Defensive Player of the Year awards when he's clearly not the best defender in the NBA? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, it'll also you know depend what I'm saying, on how you though. Yeah, I yeah, like, I do. 
I think that the metrics skew really in favor of rim protection and guys that sit in the yeah, paint. They, yeah, they do. And to me, that's if we're just relying on those metrics, that's a flawed system that we should be looking at. Yeah, because, well, because the history of rim protection, like I do, we we do agree it's the most important thing. I I am trying to be a little bit fair to go bear here because historically. You know, if you could deter somebody from the paint and just leave them out on the perimeter, that's a win for the yeah. defense. Because once you get into the paint, everything opens up. And if you and it's not even just blocking shots. If you're just if you have the intimidator badge in two K, everybody's yeah, sure. gonna turn everybody's gonna turn back, right? Um, yeah. It's, so again, it's, I I totally get that. But the thing is, like when you bring up got when you bring up like Aiton and Bead, yep, Anthony Davis. They do that as well, but they can also switch out and guard guards for short periods of time. If yeah, you need they could, yeah, they could do it longer than Gobert, but I don't think you want to be Davis or Aiton out there every possession. No, no, no. I no, think no, they'll, no. they'll 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 get cooked anyway. I yeah, that's not my point. That's yeah. not the point. I'm, I get, I'm I get saying, what like, you're in saying. General, I would rather like I would trust them more than Gobert to go out there and guard a guard for a a period of time, or at least right. not look as lost. Right. Right. Yeah. And. You know, yeah, I totally get it. And, um, well, it's a regular season award, so I also get it. I also get why. Um, I think one day these awards should just be all season, or we should just have yeah. separate playoff awards if we really want to do that. Um, like, to me, to me, this was the biggest thing. With Everyone brings up the chop blocking and the reproduction with, like, Prime Dwight. But, dude, the, to me, the most important thing with Prime Dwight was the athleticism and his the ability for him to move his feet. Oh yeah, I saw somebody. Prime, Prime somebody White tried to compare. Somebody White tried feet. to compare Gobert to defense. You know, Gobert's defensive player of the years to Dwight Howard's, and I'm like, nah. Dwight Howard no, 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 was no, no. the best defender in the NBA for a. He won three straight in a row, and it was, and you could see it on film, eye like, test, clearly. whatever. It was clear, like he was an intimidator. And the thing was everything, but the thing was, he was keeping up with guards and like legitimately guarding guards on the switch and being able to get back to his defender and the card. Yeah, the rim. wasn't as much back then, but he could do it. Yeah. And then he could do like, even going back to like KG too. When you watch KG as a defender. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. it, it, and so now when you put, when you put these awards in place and you're like, Gobert's now in this realm of defender. You're like, no, that's not. what, that's one hall of famer. I want to see trans transported from a time machine to this era. Is KG Garnett? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, he would be, especially if since he'd be shooting threes too, he'd be a monster. He would make Anthony Davis look. He would be what everybody wants Anthony Davis to be. Yes. Like pretty easy. He'd be he'd be Anthony Davis with consistency. He'd be Anthony Davis three point <laughs> Like yeah. I love I love KG. He's underrated. Even though the leprechaun stuff was stupid with the Kyrie stepping on the logo yes. and KG being like, don't step 100%. on lucky. I did not know that leprechaun's name was lucky until Kevin was Garnett lucky. Yeah. said something <laughs> like who gives same, a shit. <laughs> same thing. I didn't know. I was like, whatever. Now I have a name for my hatred. That's fine. It's like, okay, a lucky. Oh, all right. It's a leprechaun dog. <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was for the thing of like, I I, I'm watching this game. And I'm like, this is your. I, it was the. Uh, it was that. It was. Meme is this was your like, king? This, this is your defensive player of the year. Yep. This. Yep. yep. Right. Yep. And he's getting cooked. And the thing is, again, 
I'm I'm not saying that he has to be perfect, but when you're a defense when you're the defensive player of the year mm-hmm. and you're being hunted, yeah, I'm sorry. Yep. That's not a thing. Yeah, yep, exactly. And this is there are some, I'm not going to name any names, but there are some certain jazz bloggers, some prominent jazz bloggers on Twitter that just they're they're in stuff. They make they well, mainly SLC Dunk. I don't know how bad it is lately because I don't look at their I haven't looked at their stuff for a few years, but I know they're still insufferable. And I know there's a few jazz bloggers that I see their tweets and they're they are absolutely insufferable whenever you criticize Gobert. Like somebody had the audacity to say, look at Gobert is getting hunted like the last five minutes of this game. Yeah. And they're like, no, he's not. They're running pick, a, pick and roll away from him. I'm like, it's not about running. No, they're running it at him. It's not. A, and even then, it's not about running running a pick and roll away from Gobert. There are times where the ball swings and whoever Gobert is guarding, whether it was Batum splashing threes in his face, whether it was Terrence Mann yamming it all over his grill, like, they're attacking Gobert. And yeah, Gobert will win some battles, but they are making it a point. They went small. To go at him. They may- and I, like I said, I don't think defense... I, I, I didn't look at the defensive side as a problem as much as you did. I looked at it offensively oh he I, is, the offensive thing is he, a given to me he is so like <laughs> it, it, i know it's a given but i think it's it's worse like it, it's worse than the i think it, it's more i think it's more important than the defensive side because it's like the clippers are remember, clearly smart there were there was, were, there were was possessions the, was the jazz fans brought up of the the screen data that oh he's God, the best the, screener in the NBA. The, the screen assist bullshit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. get out of here. There you go. I love that. Zach, <laughs> I love that Zach Lowe called that out too. I the reason Zach Lowe's my favorite writer or one of my favorite writers. It, I think he's the best basketball writer in the on the planet. Is because he's able to mix the X's and O's, the analytics, and the fandom of basketball, and the fun and magic that comes with basketball. Like he's an yeah. overall fan, and he encapsulates that so well in words that I wish I had like a tenth of his talent, right? And even on his podcast, he's like, "I screen assists are banned from this podcast." <laughs> he's like, "I do not want to hear the word screen assist," and so it's now banned from his podcast because, like, you see stuff like John Hollinger who is a respected executive, I get it, but he's really trying to galaxy brain himself and be like, I'm smarter than you by putting Gobert a second in your MVP voting. That's ridiculous. Like, he's a, Gobert is a really good player. The Jazz offense and defense actually hinges on Gobert because Gobert, (laughs) I don't want to say screen assist, but those screens on offense really do help. But the problem is, when the Clippers switch that and Gobert is flashing to the middle and he has Batum or Paul George on his backside, he cannot do anything with the ball. And he has stone hands, unless he's catching a rebound or blocking a shot. And you can see on offensive possessions, he would get the offensive rebound and a putback dunk because he's bigger than everybody. But that's about the only thing you're going to get out of Gobert utilizing his size against the Clippers on the other end. (laughs) Like... I I I this is why I picked the this is why I picked the Clippers. I know you picked the Jazz in 7. This is why I picked the Clippers in 6 because I just think Ty Lue is just going to press the right buttons and be able to exploit Gobert cuz he's now the Jazz totally are fair. I know the Jazz are in and by the way, the Jazz could still win this series. It's not like I'm, you know, taking a victory lap or on you or anything like that. It's just the fact that um it's the fact that 
Gobert is so important to the Jazz, but the Clippers have ways to render him limited, and it affects the Jazz as a whole. Now, ha- not having Mike yeah. Conley hurts really bad for the Jazz also, and Mitchell not being 100% is is not ideal for the Jazz either because he hurt his ankle again after playing yeah. like an absolute superstar so far. It's it's just going to be really also, can we tough. Talk about, can we talk about the start of that Clippers-Jazz game last night of like, oh, that was I a, tweeted about it. That was I ridiculous. tweeted about it. I was like, did someone mess with the sliders? <laughs> someone on, mess with the 2 this game? sliders? <laughs> like, they're, are they playing on rookie? Like, they were hit. They, they Boyan were so Bogdanovich hot. was on rookie. Who was on rookie mode. Like, or playing, looked like he was playing on rookie mode. He was, uh, he was just knocking threes down left and right in the first half. But 17 threes. But in the second half, how many? I think they hit, they went 0 for 10 in the third quarter. And then they, yeah, they got cold. And then they went two for five, I think, in the fourth quarter. And they still had a chance to win this game. But when you don't have your full co- – with that particular team, if you don't have your full complement of players or have a compromised Donovan Mitchell, who's your best player, yeah. I think, then it's a – Some would a, say the best player in the franchise. I mean, I Stephen A. Smith <laughs> is wrong, but I want to agree with that take so bad. Like I, I, I want to agree with that take so bad because one, Carl Malone I think is it's a way too early. I think Carl Malone is I, an awful human being, but I mean yes. the numbers are the numbers, and he, I mean to me, yeah. to me, it's not even Carl Malone. I, I'm still a big Stockton believer. Oh yeah, the John. I Stockton, still think, yeah. I, I still think Stockton made Malone more than Malone made Stockton. Yeah, that's I, all I would, like I die on the hill. I would agree with that to some extent. Yeah. So I think, you know, it, I think I, it went I'm, both I'm ways. A big, I'm a big I'm a big Stockton person, so like I just believe like when you watch footage of Stockton, I I think that he was limited by the Jerry Sloan system. Like I think that he, I think he's a, I think he was an above average shooter. Like he's better than he than he showed. I think he could, he could definitely score the ball more consistently than he showed, but that wasn't the offense. I agree, so, like, but when you, you know, look but when you look back at it though, I can't help but think that we're looking back at that with the lens that we have now because like you could say that for. Uh... Every yeah. Team in the oh, 90s. definitely. Yeah, but I get what you. Yeah, yeah. I, get, like, I, I get. I get you. I, I like this just Steve watching Nash it. I'm like, dude, he's, yeah, I'm. I'm just like, dude. He could do so much more than mm-hmm. what he's allowed to do within the system. Yep. And I, I'm like, I, oh, I, well, yeah. So for me, like, it's Stockton, and there's no contest. Like, I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a Malone person. Well, right. just because he's a piece of shit human, but also like. I I would take Barkley in that era over him. Absolutely. Um, I don't even. I like. I, and, to I me, don't, it's I don't no understand contest. the argument. Like, dude, if you swap Barkley and Malone, I think the Jazz Yo. win championships. Yo. Like, <laughs> like, if you swapped Barkley with Malone and paired him with Stockton, they they would be – I they they might have a championship. Like, Michael Jordan would still probably, you know, have five. Have the majority like, of them, yeah. He would have he would have five maybe. But, um, yeah, Bar- I would take Barkley over Malone easy. He, Barkley was a freak. Like <laughs> – he was a freak yeah, by 100%. even 80s or 90s standards. Yeah, but, uh, uh, I you know I think I'd take Charles over over him. I would take I think like again Duncan Garnett. They talk about fours, right? I'd take Duncan Garnett. I'd mm-hmm. even take AD skill wise. Like I don't I don't know. Wait, you would you take know. Anthony Davis over Charles Barkley? No, Malone. Oh, Malone. I'm talking about Malone. Okay, I, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was I was I, like, wait, like what? I just don't. No, no, no. Like when I, when I'm talking about fours. 
Like I Malone's actually pretty low on my list of like all time fours. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know. Like Scotty Pippen said, the just... mailman don't deliver on Sundays. <laughs> it's um, such a good line. What was that? Oh yeah. Okay, Here, so I this know, is what so I wanted what, to say what? first before we before we continue. How about playoff P? Pulling up work finally. He's been good. What a performance. So he So I know he was he was bad in game one. I believe it was game one. Game two, he was okay. But the last three games, he's been spectacular. And he's really been spectacular all playoffs. And now that he's finally healthy and or has a healthy – is healthy enough during the playoffs, I know he's dealing with that toe endemia or whatever it's called. He's been playing well. He, he's been playing really well. And um, the fact that Kawhi was out – I know the Wolves were going to come out uh, if Paul George didn't show up. He played yeah. the he played the perfect balance of attack the rim, take my pull up dribble jump, take my uh, pull up off the dribble jumper from the mid range and from three. I'm going to post up Royce o- Royce uh, Royce O'Neal. I'm going to get into pick and roll and distribute. He he threaded the needle finally in a high pressure situation in game five on the road. It was Indiana, Paul George and, um, yes, I'll give him and 2019 Paul George. One. So or, the thing that I will say is I will give him full credit and he played fantastic, but with Kawhi out, I still don't see him carrying this team. Uh, we'll see. He's been, he's, yeah, he's been doing his part carrying the Clippers yeah. in these playoffs. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, the Clippers are at home. So it should be a little they don't have to play in the hostile environment in Utah, but for this for this game in particular, Paul George was incredible what he had 36 points, he had 16 rebounds and he was all over yeah, the place on the defensive end and he had five assists. Um there were some shaky moments in the fourth quarter, but I think when the game got close, he had a post up on Royce O'Neal that was clutch. He Dude, he, I don't I don't know what it is with Paul George. Every time fourth quarter close game he makes some weird turnovers he had he did have some weird turnovers in the fourth quarter he did like he had that in the last series in the maverick series where like fourth quarter and like you're like all right crunch time here we go he'll just have some wonky turnovers where you're like oh man there's playoff p and then like and then he'll come back with like a clutch shot or something like that but you're like man what happened before yep yep um he he definitely had some uh he had some weird passes, but he had some clutch shots too. He posted up Royce yeah. O'Neal with like uh I mean it was like one twelve to one it was like one ten to one oh eight or something like that. And Paul George uh posted up Royce O'Neal and got the foul and hit a and and hit a bucket over yeah, that, was got pretty the much, that was pretty much the game. And that was ball <laughs> ball game, like the his Gatorade yeah. commercial. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much it, because that at that point then that kind of took the wind out of the any kind but, of comeback uh, sale. It was a great performance from Paul George. And once again, Ty Lu, the mad scientist, pushing all the buttons. Terrence Mann, you're gonna start. I'm gonna bring in I'm gonna bring back Rajon Rondo after not, after getting three straight DMPs. This is what I this is what I respect about Ty Lu. Because I never really I some of it was fair and a lot of it wasn't, but he really is good. He's really an underrated coach. And I think some of it, he got 
flack for, you know, being the coach of LeBron or whatever. But, like, he made tactical adjustments in the 2016 finals that enabled the Cavs to win. Yeah. And he is known to just try shit. And I respect that. Sometimes it might be crazy. Like a mad scientist, sometimes you'll put an extra chemical in the beaker that you don't expect and it blows up in your face. Yeah, you're, put I... that, you're putting chemical action. You make the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> I could hum the theme song right now, but then I'd really show my nerd nerd him off here. Um, but uh, it, it'll blow what up. What this in podcast face. is, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, but um, it, it sometimes it'll blow up in his face. But at least I can respect the fact that he tried it. Like yeah. if Plan A doesn't work. Okay, you know what? Let's pull a le- let's pull some levers here. Let's see Demarcus Cousins. Let's see you body up Rudy Gobert. Okay, you really can't move on the other end of the floor, so we're gonna take you out. We're gonna like Patrick Beverly uh, didn't play after Game One in the last series. Ivica Zubac got benched in the last series, pretty much, and then in this series, when the matchup called for it, because it's a different team, different matchup. Patrick Beverly comes in, and he's effective. Even Patrick Beverly and Avika Zubac is, is effective. Last night, Patrick Beverly was mostly good. He was mostly effective. Yeah, he did his Patrick Beverly bullshit, but he was effective. And this, <laughs> don't want to try to circle it back to the Sixers and Bud, but like Bucks fans and Sixer fans are watching their coaches just absolutely not do anything. Besides being rah-rah, clap your hands, come on, let's go, guys. Yell at you during a timeout when a team makes a, the opposing team makes a run. Ty Lue's like, okay, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. Okay, that didn't work. Halftime. Okay, let's make this adjustment. It works. And then it, the Jazz go on a little run. Okay, what do we do here? Like, Ty Lue and Monty Williams have been really impressive to me. And... As much as I would like to see a Jazz Sun series, because I think that would be the most fun, um, it, attack, I would have loved to see a full Clippers, strength Clippers versus the Suns, because I think the coaching matchup would have been great. There's too many injuries in these playoffs, man. Like, yeah. It's just, it's, so, it sucks. Yeah, I think we both agree that the injuries suck. So before, we're getting a little long here. I do want to bring up one more topic before we end this off. Yes, because we got to watch the. I hope. Well, I hope to watch the Bucks uh, collapse. Yeah. So we got to get out of here. But the, uh, I, I got to bring up this Luca talk because this is so interesting to me, and it's something right. that I'm. We did. We did say we were going to go over the avalanche of NBA news. So let's do the quick hitters. So quick hitters, obviously injury stuff. We don't want to need to go over. Uh, Coach is getting fired. I don't think we expected most of these. Um, I didn't expect Sam Van Gundy to be fired this year. Yeah, the Sam Van Gundy, the Sam Van Gundy one. Uh, but there's rumors now that Zion wants out, so they gotta keep him happy. Whatever. Yeah, his family's um, unhappy. Yeah. So you know, whatever. That's fine. Uh, again, these aren't super obvious. The weird ones to me are the Mavericks ones because Don, obviously Donnie Nelson's out as the GM, and then Rick Carlisle said today that he's out as the coach. Uh, again, he said he left. Uh, I don't know how mutual that is. Um, so it turns out Tim Cato, the reporter for The Athletic, who dropped that story about four days ago about how yeah. Haralabas Vulgaris, who I was a frequent guest in the old BS podcast days when it was the BS report, and now he got hired by the Mavericks a few years ago. 
apparently he's basically the GM now. So one, I want to thank Haralabob for Seth Curry and taking on Josh Richardson because I know Haralabob was probably like, oh yeah, get this guy. Like, but um, Tim Cato reported it. Mark Cuban called it total bullshit on Twitter. Yeah. And it turns out it wasn't total bullshit. It turns out Tim Cato is actually what we all already know he is. Well, remember, a Mark, reputable remember, reporter. Remember, Mark Cuban also did not know this huge sexual harassment scandal that was yeah, going under his ex- nose, apparently. Exactly. Um, the, the most, the, he touts himself as the most hands-on owner in the NBA, and yet there was this giant sexual as- uh, assault scandal that was going on right under his nose. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. The, uh, so I'm taking the it with all the grain of salt. So the thing I do want to bring up is this is really so my favorite my favorite thing was I saw a tweet that said uh you know this is the worst thing that could ever happen to the Mavericks for Luka Doncic like Mavs fans and then someone quote tweeted said no the worst thing would be when Luka signs with Clutch Sports <laughs> <laughs> hey. and it's like damn. Is it, it's good for me. I'm actually, I mean, like, well, yeah, obviously it's good for you. Laker <laughs> fans are already photoshopping jerseys. I saw, what was his name? Anthony Irwin. I don't follow the dude, but like I saw his. Oh, it's um, the Luca, the Luca. Yeah, I saw his really Zion poorly one. photoshopped <laughs> Zion Luca <laughs> Microsoft Paint jerseys. That yes. story is wild, by the way, because like I'm reading the story and I'm reading about why players don't like him, why front office players don't like him. And it makes total sense because if you listen to him on past podcast, he's off-putting as hell and he's arrogant as hell. And he speaks about basketball in such a matter-of-fact way. Look, I get it. He's a smart basketball mind and he has had a lot of success as a gambler, came up with famously. To be fair, to be fair, I think once you get to a certain point, you do speak arrogantly about basketball. Like Daryl Morey, to a certain extent, when you listen to him on podcasts and interviews, Daryl Morey is kind of a matter-of-fact guy about basketball. It's in a funny like, way. It's in a funny way, It though. is in a funny way. But Vol- it is. But Volgaris I, is just he'll, – he'll personally attack you if you don't know anything. Like, I remember one time Bill Simmons said something about uh, Joe Ingles. It was, like, back in 2017 or something like that. Bill Simmons tweeted something about Joe Ingles, and then Haralabob uh, quote-tweeted him. And he was like, okay, kid. (laughs) And like, he quickly deleted it. But it was like, nah, dog, we all saw you. Like, we, I don't know if anybody else remembers, but we saw, like, I get it. When, when you reach a higher status, you, you become, you might have a little bit more ego. I hope that doesn't happen with me. I don't think it ever, it will. Um, And I don't want it to. But when you think of, when you hear the way he talks and he speaks in such a robotic way about basketball that it's like, he doesn't, like he forgets the human elements like it makes sense why players don't like him it makes sense why Luka Doncic cussed him out in the middle of a game like Tim McMahon reported or he said on the Zach Lowe podcast I haven't heard the podcast but you know uh people on Twitter will transcribe it apparently during a game Luka Doncic uh looked at Mark Cuban it was Mark Cuban or Donnie Nelson and he was basically like who's in charge you or uh Volgaris or whatever and it was like, oh, yeah. wha- like, okay, it's like that. And when you think about the way, when you hear Volgaris on podcasts and stuff like that from the past, it kind of makes sense why he rubs players and people the wrong way. Like, it is a people business at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think you're 100% right. I think the thing here that's interesting to me is, like, the, Luka is in prime, the Mavericks and Luka are in prime position to be the face of the NBA when LeBron's gone. Mm-hmm. 
like they like they are in prime position here to take that mantle and to be sort of you know this this shining star of the league. Oh, and man. like I I, can't... I agree with you, but I wish injuries were if injuries are the only thing holding Joel Embiid back from to me being clear cut the best player in the world. I think him and Kevin Durant have are the best players in the world right now. LeBron is grandfathered. Kevin Durant and LeBron are grandfathered in. And I think Embiid on a permanent basis when he's on the court is the best is uh, the best player in the world. But health is really the only thing holding Embiid back from just being, you know, the face of the NBA and just this mega, mega star. I think it would be clear cut he would be the best player in the world if health wasn't an issue, obviously. But I agree with yeah. your c- sentiments on Luka. Like, he, like, they are set up so perfectly. And it's like, if they fuck this up, could you imagine if they fuck this up? Oh, like man. they're fucking it up. Like <laughs> they really King, are. Kings fans will Kings fans will turn into the live version of that meme where the the guy on the ship has like the noose around his neck and he's like first time. <laughs> yeah. Cuz the Kings like, Kings fans thought they were getting Doncic and about a week out they realized they weren't getting Doncic and it was like Like it, Luka Luka's going to ship off to like New York or LA. Well, think about gonna, Zion. You know, yeah. Like, Zion's the same thing. Like if these if these orgs don't start shaping up, like they're they're gonna lose out on their. I told you, man. I wasn't a fan guys. of these signings. I wasn't sure about those signings, man. Like you can't. You you have Brandon Ingram and Zion, and you and you're instead of surrounding them with shooting and defense, you add Stephen Adams, who's a plotting big who can't really move on the perimeter, and you add Eric fucking Bledsoe to the team. You trade for Eric Bledsoe, like, like it. it and Eric Bledsoe is a disaster. <laughs> it's it like it's, the Pelicans better shape up soon because I th- I also think David Griffin's really overrated as a GM. Like I yeah. respect that he built a championship team around LeBron, and as a GM, you are supposed to go all in and sacrifice everything. Well, like, that was that was the weird thing when he made the comments of like building around a team around LeBron isn't fun, and I was like, well, that's your fucking like. It's your, your job. That's You're your not the job. <laughs> like, and, and and by the way, you don't have LeBron and you have a young team and you're not doing a good job so far. Zion and yeah. Brandon Ingram are already pissed. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I just don't get it. Whatever. The so my, my main thing is like these young kids aren't like I think nowadays they understand with all of especially now during COVID and with all these injuries in the short season, like they're understanding that their careers can be cut short at any point in time or like mm-hmm. take a significant turn uh at any point in time and so like yeah they're not waiting around for you to figure out your shit by the way they're not gonna leave for like five or six years because there's no No. way they're turning down the extra 20 25 million they're gonna get from the team that drafted them oh absolutely it's it's about worrying what it's like when they're 26 27 and they're gonna make their lives an absolute hell the entire Mm -hmm. time that they're here if Mm -hmm. they if you're not willing to build and they're gonna put a lot of pressure on you Yep. And then if you're if you're not able to do it and they leave anyway, you're going to be left with scraps and you're going to get screwed because you're not going to have draft picks because you're going to trade them all to try to make him happy. And that's not going to work. Yep. And it, it's funny because I also saw a report that uh, Zion and RJ have been talking about playing together a lot. And that that actually makes, of course they are, of course they are talking about it because they're best friends. They played together at Duke, and they've always talked about it, even in their in their Duke days. Um, yeah. But 
Zion was already he he when he said like it's the Mecca when he had those comments where he's like it's the Mecca it's the New York Knicks and all that stuff like the clock is already ticking in New Orleans and Zion's gonna have what um let's see he's gonna have two coaches in two years already yeah like that's that's, that's certainly crazy. not a good look and for Brandon Ingram how many coaches is he going to have? That's three coaches in four years for Brandon Ingram? Yeah. Like, yikes, man. You're the starting to grow these kids. Yeah, it, yeah. And the thing is, like, they still have – the Pelicans still have draft picks. But when you look at the trades they've made, the players they've signed, and David Griffin's um, acumen as a GM might apply to different situations – at other organizations than maybe a young rebuilding team. I don't know, man. It could be another Anthony Davis situation. John Hollinger actually just said um, that uh, the Pelicans are likely a front runner to relocate in 2024. Oh my God. Or within the next decade. Because their lease expires in 2024. And he said that um, they are the most likely to re relocate in the next uh decade bring yeah, it back to like so oh boy well i mean remember there's that talk of expansion with seattle and vegas so i would love that, we'll see that. i want to go to we'll see what happens i, I want to go to summer league uh not i can't go this summer but next summer i'm uh summer league's great i've been uh, we used to time it where we used to go to summer league every year yeah um it's a good time it's a real good time. That's where oh, yeah. I saw. It looks like uh, basketball the, Disney World, probably. I was at the uh, I was at that legendary John Wall Jeremy Lin matchup game. Yeah, yeah, I remember you. We were talking about it on the uh, on an earlier episode. <laughs> summer yeah, league, yeah, yeah. summer league, man. That used to be um, that used to be the Sixers Super Bowl. Whenever we were drafting, <laughs> whenever we were drafting players, drafting super high. Like, I remember when we drafted Markel Fultz. I've told this story about like how I wrote a two thousand word piece on Markel Fultz, and I. I was ecstatic when we traded for him and stuff. That first summer league, uh, summer league game against the Celtics, I was like, "Oh, it's over. We got the guy." Like he was doing everything he did at Washington, except he was hitting NBA threes. Like the way he started summer league in Utah was great, and then when they moved to Vegas, he sprained his ankle in the first game really badly because, of course, the Sixers always get hurt. And then we never saw him again, and he came back to training camp with a jacked up shooting form to say the least oh it's so sad so i will always have the first game of the 2017 summer league to remember against the celtics <laughs> i still watch those highlights <laughs> that oh boy and, that and i'm sure sixer fans are going back to ben simmons 2016 summer league highlights to cope <laughs> with what's been happening the last two games by the way i think even the staunchest well, except for maybe Ben Dietrich of Cookies Hoops um, and Pablo Torre. But I think a lot of Simmons defenders have jumped shit. And I get it. Yeah. I get it. He doesn't. He, he hasn't earned the trust of anyone that's nope. still in this corner. He's lost my trust uh, completely. He's lost Dad. my trust completely. If we get another guard and somehow not give up Simmons... Then we're cooking with gas, but unfortunately, with the assets we have, Ben Simmons is the best one. So you have to give him up and trade him if you want to get, you know, unless, unless Tyrese Maxey becomes a god somehow. I, I'm telling you, everybody on this team except for Embiid, Seth Curry, 
Tyrese Maxey, and Matisse Thibel, and Danny Green. Because I, I love Danny Green. <laughs> Should be gone. Oh, you've come, you've come full circle? Come full, okay, so the, come full circle on Danny Green? So, the first two games of the Hawks series, Danny Green was terrible. But the, the entire season and the series before that, he was good. It's just when he – it looks bad when he's missing threes. The problem was in the first game of the Hawks series, he wasn't guarding either. And it – by the way, <laughs> by the way, if – by the way, some of that was also – obviously a lot of it was Doc Rivers' fault because he left Danny Green out there when Trey Young was cooking. On an island? He left him out there on an island. Like 19 of those 25 points came against Danny Green. But um, I – I just he's a really smart defender and he's spa- he's crucial to the spacing of Embiid who needs to operate with space and even though he'll miss he'll miss threes he's a corner three master and he's a veteran like I just want him I want Matisse Thibel attached to Danny Green like master splinter yeah ninja turtle type uh, master <laughs> master apprenticeship right there because it's because Danny Green does have like the tricks and the cheat codes and all that stuff of being a 15 year vet that he could give Thibel with his, he has, he has, the, vet, he has the vet tactics. Yeah. yeah. He has the vet moves. Yeah. The vet moves, the, uh... knows, no set certain sets teams tend to run all that stuff. Like the habits that you build. Yeah. I would, I would, that's the, that's like 30% of the reason why I'd keep Danny green there. Other than the fact that he's a, he's a, he's a solid vet. He's a solid rock. Like I don't want him running off the three-point line and dribbling or taking that weird-ass floater that he does. But uh, I would keep Danny Green. Also, because I'm sorry, like, I don't mean to make fun of players who, who players a uh, running gate, but Danny Green has, like, the most, I don't know, he has, like, the most old man pickup game running gate in the NBA. Yeah, like, he's half, like he's half trying, right? Like, like he's, he's half like, trying and he's swinging his arms, like, the way he swings his yeah, arms yeah. is all back and forth. The, you get what I'm saying. You've right. watched Danny Green. No, no, no. I, it, all right, is the guy at the 24-hour, is the older guy at the 24-hour fitness that's wearing shorts and the headband? <laughs> And just kind of, you know, he's jogging down. Yeah, and he's jogging down. He's like, like, in, his, he's like in his 50s. He's jogging three-point line, three-point line. Yep. <laughs> and like, he's got a little bit of a gut. I, I also think the way some of these players run, and this is a really weird niche basketball thing before we go. Like, some of the way these players run, like, I think they do it on purpose because, like, the way they run to be unique. Looks, looks cool. Because, like, Michael Jordan, when he ran after he scored, when he would, like, jog back with both his thumbs up in a closed fist, just jogging back, yeah. like, it looked cool. Like, I remember... Kobe did that. Kobe did that. I remember when I was entering my freshman year of high school and I did the summer program for uh, the high school basketball team for the Frostoff team. Um, that was the same year Dwayne Wade was having his insane playoff run. <laughs> and I would try to imitate running like Dwayne Wade after I'd score. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he was my favorite player that year. So I like wore the high socks. I had the, I bought these really, these like old pair of Wade Converse's from a, when he was with Converse uh, from Ross. And I would just run back. <laughs> I would just trot back on deep on defense. Like I was Dwayne Wade after I hit a, like a, a post hook or whatever, and I would just run back. <laughs> it's a really weird niche basketball thing that Hoopers like us. See, I, only I used understand. to do the same thing. 
I used to do the same thing. I did the thumb thing because Kobe used to do that when he scored. Mm-hmm. Or yep. he, so you you know you'd run back and it's like a, you'd run like a, I call it the the eight bit the eight bit Nintendo man where his arms don't move but you're still running. Yeah. So his <laughs> arms are just locked in the L position with the thumbs up. Yep. <laughs> I remember Kobe had the coolest home run shot. Uh, it was the Martin Luther. I don't know if you remember this game, but it was the Martin Luther King game in 2009 against the uh, Cavaliers. And, you know, the Lakers started pulling away in the fourth quarter. And three straight possessions, Kobe just hit these ridiculous shots over LeBron. It's the ones over LeBron, right? Yeah. the one, like, But the one I was talking about, it was the second one where the shot clock was running down and Kobe was on the right block. And he couldn't back LeBron down, but he obviously was carving his way out for position. And then he just quickly turned around and did this high arcing fadeaway. And it was, bap, nothing but net. And the crowd just went nuts. And the way Kobe was running back alongside LeBron, like, he had his hand out. Like, his hand spread out. Like, he was just like, ooh, yeah, I just hit that shit right in front of you. <laughs> it was it was sick. I'm not going to lie. I was just like, damn, LeBron got. I remember watching that, and I was like, damn, LeBron got got. And then the next possession down, Kobe hit this ridiculous runner and one. It was, no, the first possession was no, a three. No, the three is the first one. And then the fadeaway was the next one. And then Kobe uh, dribbled on the left side, the next possession down, and he drove at LeBron, but it wasn't towards the rim. It was towards out of bounds. And Kobe did like this running leaner with his right hand out of bounds. And it was an and one. He did the verbal, hey, and the refs called the foul in. It it was sick. It was like, it was a sick, like three straight possessions. I was like, damn, because LeBron hit a three right back in one of those. But Kobe was just like, nah. Kobe in that that era, Kobe was so confident in like just being able to do whatever the fuck he wanted. It was insane mm. to watch. Yep, yep. That was uh, right, well, after he got his fourth championship. That was when he was like, "I got it without Shaq." He was on cloud nine. Couldn't couldn't do anything wrong. Yeah, exact. Yeah, after he got his fourth championship, he got a he, you know, he had that boost. He had that boost. <laughs> he was like, "I got one without Shaq." You know, hey, Shaq, tell me how my ass tastes, even though Kobe didn't say that song. <laughs> that was Shaq. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Kobe was just – he was confident that. He was confident that year. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Nets Bucks is about to start. So we're going to hop out of here, catch that, and hopefully uh, hopefully watch watch Bud choke another one away. <laughs> I want um, – I, I, I want – I can't believe I'm saying this, like, three years later, but I want Bud fired as much as I wanted Jason Kidd fired. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought I'd see the day. All right. Well, we're going to head out. Thank you guys for watching. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. The B.O.B. Sixers in seven, hopefully. Bye. 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 Bye.